you are listening to the Spiritual Warrior Coach with Barbara Sabin, the podcast for discovering how powerful your wisdom, compassion, and courage is. Get ready to join Barbara and her guests as they explore and offer you advice on how to reclaim your power, your energy, and your authentic self. And now, here's the host of the show, Barbara Sabin. Well, thank you for joining me today, and welcome to the Spiritual Warrior Coach Podcast. I am your host, Barbara Savin, and I am here to help you reclaim your power, your energy, and your authentic self. You know, I am a certified clinical and medical hypnotherapist, Reiki master and teacher, energy healing specialist, life coach, and best-selling author of Gentle Energy Touch, the beginner's guide to hands-on healing. You know, I have been helping my clients for over 35 years, and the older I get, hmm, the more wisdom seems to come through. So isn't it time that you believe in yourself? You know, your mind is going to provide you with your greatest challenges in life because it's so very, very powerful. So let's use it for positive thinking, creating harmony, balance, peace, love, happiness, and anything else that your heart desires. Because one day, the world will tap you on your shoulder and say, this is your time to shine. And speaking about shining, wow, my guest today, oof, boy, I can't wait to do this uh, interview with you, Kathy. How are you? I'm fine, Barbara. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. So let me tell my listeners a little bit about you. M.K. McDonald, who goes by Kathy to her friends, was 53 years old when she was placed on a ventilator and into a drug-induced coma for a pulmonary illness. And for almost three weeks, her family prayed as they hovered over her bed in the critical care unit. Meanwhile, her spirit was somewhere else. And it took over 10 years to begin to phantom what she experienced in an afterlife of demons and fear, and then eventually God's loving embrace. And Kathy was sent back for a purpose, and she just didn't know what it was. And after many false thoughts, she published Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expect to make sense of the dark, distressing NDE and to offer hope and comfort to others. Oh, wow, Kathy. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, that is tough. Yeah, it was interesting. Wow. Yeah, I, I've got a little distance now. So it's uh, not as crazy as it was when it when it first occurred, because I had no idea what had happened to me. And uh, I had read uh, Embraced by the Light uh, shortly before this all happened. And uh, you know, I just didn't have that huge heaven experience right away. I had that long hell experience first. So I just wasn't sure what happened. And it, it took me about 10 years to find IONS, which is the International Association of Near-Death Studies. That's mm -hmm. full of formerly dead people. And I love them. <laughs> and it was just my tribe. I thought, oh my goodness, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Wow. And they're the ones that uh, prompted me to go ahead and write the book because only about 12 to 20% of 
of people that have NDEs have distressing ones or something that's disturbing in them. And, uh, and people are curious, why? Why does something like that happen? I mean, we're all taught that God is all loving and forgiving and, and uh, that's what happens, at least when you're on the other side that, that dawns on you clear as a bell. Mm -hmm. So to, to end up in hell, it would just didn't seem logical. You know, and I'm a very logical person. So I, finally, after talking to lots and lots of people and thinking and praying, it dawned on me what had happened. Wow. So what was your life life actually before this near-death experience? Well, um, my dad was in the Navy. So from the time I was a little one, we, we traveled all over. We went on the East Coast a couple of spots. We were in the Midwest, and then we came out to California. And so I was always the new kid in school, you know, uh, that was tough, but uh, I learned to, uh, you know, find a way to uh, introduce myself and fit in to almost any group, which was, you know, was a good thing to learn. And then uh, I got married when I was quite young, just barely 19, and uh, to a young man that I'd only known for like five months or something because, oh. I, you know, at 19, you're so smart. And my dad got transferred back to Wichita, Kansas. And I was a, now a, a California girl believer and I was not going back to Kansas. Anybody who's lived there, God bless you. Uh, but um, anyway, that's part of the reason I got married is I didn't want to go to Kansas and he wanted to move out of his, his parents' house. Uh, you know, really a firm foundation. Well, our first child only uh, lived two days and she died of multiple birth defects. And uh, I had known, I'd had premonitions, I had dreams while I was carrying her. And this was my first, first child, so I had nothing to compare it to, but I knew something was terribly wrong. And so when she was born, I, I had her baptized right away. I wouldn't let them do the surgeries. They were gonna try and fix everything Well, I didn't. And so she, she died and I was so angry with God. I mean, to tell you, I thought, hey, I've been a good Catholic girl my whole life. I've done what's been asked of me. I believe in you and this happens. Uh, it was a real crisis of faith for me. And then I felt like God was blackmailing me. You know, if I dropped out of the church or stopped believing then I'd never see her again. So it, it was a terrible time. I did go ahead and have two more children in quick succession, and uh, my marriage lasted about 10 years, and then I was a single mom with two little kids, uh, had to get a job, and um, that was fine. I, I, I was good at math, so I found a bookkeeping position, um, and, and that went on, and then my life got more complicated. I got uh, married to a fellow with two kids, and then I had four children. Mm -hmm. I was going to night school to become a real estate broker and a day, had a day job. So there was too much on my plate. Mm -hmm. And uh, my husband had a nervous breakdown and I, <laughs> I was left with uh, another divorce. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. So now I, you know, anyway, that I met a wonderful man after that, I got a really good job and I <clears throat> uh, met a wonderful man and we were engaged for many years, and then he got a promotion to go to the East Coast, and I had started my own property management company. My kids were in college in California. My family was there, and so for me to sell my business, leave my family and kids, and go 
you know, to Chicago uh, where he was going to work 23 hours a day. That wasn't going to work. So we we parted best friends, wished each other well, promised to stay in touch. And he got in touch with me, oh, not too awful long after that, uh, might have been a year or so, I sold my business by then and uh, decided at the age of 50, I was going to go do something different because I'd worked my whole life putting these kids through school and stuff. But he had uh, leukemia. Oh, God. And uh, they said there was nothing more they could do for him there. And he was going to come out to Seattle to go to a research hospital, but he needed a couple of caregivers. And would I help him? And I said, you bet. Are you kidding me? So I flew up from California to Seattle, found us a place, and the three of us moved in. And it was only supposed to be uh, three to five months. Well, it stretched into uh, eight or nine. And uh, by the end of that time, the other caregiver had broken her foot. I was taking care of both of them. And it was such a trauma that with the research, you know, one day they're fine, the next day they're terrible. It was just very little sleep. It was nuts. And then he died. And I was devastated. Uh, I, I got, I went, well, I went to LA to, with a friend to see a concert and there was a horrible flu going around and I caught it. And in very short order, it had me on my, you know, just knocked me on my feet. And then by the time I got myself to a a dock in the box, um, it had, it was, it was bad. They had to put me in an ambulance. I stopped breathing and uh, I'd gotten into the pneumonia and uh, I woke up in the hospital and uh, because I passed out at the uh, dock in the box and I wondered what the heck here's my family there you know none of them lived in Washington and and here they are all all there and they said well you're you know you are super sick it went to pneumonia and now it's gone to ARDS which is lung failure oh god that's what usually kills people. That's the complications of pneumonia thing. So for SARS or COVID or whatever, once it gets to that point, um, they put you on a ventilator and <clears throat> you survive. So it would all kind of happen so fast. And and my family was saying, well, you've just got to do this. You've got to do this. And so they were going to trach me, got my scar, and uh, put me in a coma. And the doctor said, the last thing he said to me is, you will not remember anything that happens. You know, you will be just like you're sleeping and you, uh, you know, you, you, um, we're giving you white amnesia. So you won't remember a thing. You'll be f- fine. <laughs> you'll be fine or you'll be dead. I mean, there was no oh, in between. They didn't add that last, but it was inferred, you know? So I <clears throat> waved goodbye, kisses and all that stuff. My dad gave me a thumbs up and I was gone. Oh, so like, so you, you were actually gone for like, Three weeks, you said? Yeah, it was 19 days. Yeah. Oh. But somewhere in the middle of all that, I woke up and I thought, where am I? I was in total darkness and it was uh, no sound, nothing. It was nothing. I thought, well, my God, they put me in a closet. You know, what's going on? And I didn't know what to do because I didn't know if mm-hmm. I was sitting on something or if I would fall if I moved. So I just kind of sat there. Or stood there I didn't know and waited and eventually this like reddish glow started to happen and I thought well maybe the sun's coming up or something but it was foggy and uh uh it just it it got to where the I knew I was in some 
place and I heard moaning and screaming. And then this horrible voice came out of the fog that said, do you know where you are? And boy, my mind was going in circles and being a good Catholic, I just said, hell? And this horrible voice came out. Scared the you know what out of me. I just turned and ran into the darkness. I didn't care if I fell in a hole or ran into a brick wall or what. I had to get out of there. And that was the beginning of a very long, horrible trip that that it was like scenes that happened. It was almost like a movie. And the first one was a bombed out huge big city that was completely bombed out with buildings on fire and glass and, and concrete everywhere. And I thought, oh, that's what happened. There was an atomic bomb and this is what's left and I've survived. And I, you know, that's all I could figure out. And um, so I had experience there with some other beings and some, some of them were spooky and, and uh, it was like big creatures creeping around. And I thought I had no idea what was going on. I just knew I was in terrible, terrible danger. And I, uh, so I went to run at one point when some creatures were following me and I fell. And when I got up, the scene had completely changed again. This was completely discombobulating. And I, I had no idea I was dead or alive. I mean, I just felt like me, it was still me. And some people say, well, did you have a body? Did you look down? I, I says, no, there was no mirrors. And I had no, exactly. no thought of it not being me. So it I wasn't just, an out of body experience. It was, I was, no. I was, I was someplace, you know, but it still seemed like earth because of the fire in the, in the, in the city. Uh-huh. And the next scene was, was believable. And, and, but then the third scene was a demon. I mean, wow. You say, well, how do you know it's a demon? Well, how do you know it's a kangaroo if you've never seen a kangaroo? I mean, you've heard about what they look like. There it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There it is. And it was not nice. And it was big and it was hulking and it was uh, just emanating this this bad vibe. And of course, I was stunned, you know, standing there looking at this thing. Again, not putting two and two together. Um, I just uh, didn't know what to do. So he... He says, do you want to get out of here? Oh, I says, yes, I want to get out of here. Where's the door, man? I don't know how I got here in the first place. And he Uh says, well, you just just do do one thing for me and you'll get out of here. And I said, well, fine. Okay, what is it? And he says, well, I need you to cut down this field of blackberry vines. And I turned and looked because it was dark except for him. And then all of a sudden this scene unfolded. And as far as I could see were these huge, blackberry vines. I don't know if you've ever had an occasion to be around them, but they're very thick and they're covered with thorns and they intertwine and in Washington, they're they're everywhere and you have to cut them down at six inch lengths and put them in a, I mean, it's, it's, that was almost impossible. It was an impossible task. Yeah. I looked at him like, what? Uh And he says, well, you can just go ahead and despair now. Just give up. I thought, despair, that's a strange world. Mm-hmm. He says, just give up and despair. And then that's all you got to do. And I thought, no, somewhere in my mind was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the worst, the worst sin you could commit was 
this despair. And I says, no, I, I'm not going to give up. I'll get, I'm a survivor. I'll get out of here. You know, sure. I'll cut these down. And I thought, well, it's going to take some time. You'll do it. Yeah. I have time. Yeah. So he hands me these little scissors that kids use in kindergarten to cut paper. And I thought he's toying with me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that made me mad. Yeah. So I grabbed the scissors and I scooched down because now the vines were all around me. And I started gnawing away on this one really thick thing. And I thought, oh, my hands were starting to hurt. And I gnaw and gnaw and finally got it cut. And I thought, okay, okay. So I put the vine behind me, but it was hard because I kept getting all scratched. And when I turned around, the vine had grown back. Wow. I just looked up at that demon and he is laughing. And I thought, you, you know what? And I grabbed the scissors and I started cutting again. Cutting again. Mm-hmm. It was a test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now I'm someplace else. So more things kept coming up and one got worse than the other. And sometimes I was on this road. I would just boom into this place where it was dark as far as you could see, just a little bit of red glow in the distance. And it was all rocks, no, no vegetation. And there was a, a obvious path or a road that, that went to one direction and then another. And you couldn't, it was all flat. So you couldn't tell where to go. There was nothing at the end of either road. So I thought, well, at least... I was safe for a while and maybe I could find a way out. So I would just start walking and walking and walking. Did you ever get past that blueberry? Those No, that that just disappeared. And then I I would just get in another situation. On the road, I uh, met, I came to a spot where um, there was a person that was, I mean, this is all... It was like twilight zone. None of it made sense. I couldn't understand why I was there and why these scenes were were being, you know, where I was participating in them. The one scene I had been walking for so long, I thought I was on a treadmill. I thought this is this is crazy, uh, you know. But and I was hungry and I was tired, and that's again why I didn't think I was dead. I I just still felt like me. Like and I got to a place where uh, on the road where there was a woman preparing all this food, this beautiful food. She had tables and tables with decorations and fruit baskets and and the, oh, the smells were amazing. And I asked her, I says, excuse me. Um, and, and she turned around and Barbara was one of my relatives that was alive. Oh, again, I did. I thought, well, now how did she get here? She get here. <clears throat> she didn't recognize me. Oh, and I said, you know, I called her name and I says, could you please just get me a, a little plate of something? Huh? I see you've got all this food here. I just need a little something. And she and I were very close. And she says, this is for important people. Oh my, oh. Zing. Ow. I thought, what? And she just turned her back. And I, I was crushed. And I thought, what, where am I? And what is going on? So I got back on the road and other, you know. So you never ate, she never gave you any food. Nothing. Oh, sent me on my way. Uh, Yeah, well, it was interesting. Um, And later I found out why. (laughs) But uh, anyway. um, So where did you go like after her? I kept walking on the road and I came to 
what appeared to be a terrible village of some sort. And uh, I could make out some dark, but you know, just, just enough light to where you could see some things and the rest of it was dark. But there were like beings that were walking and shuffling around. If I had to say where it was, I'd say Night of the Living Dead. They mm -hmm. looked like zombies, you know, just kind of lurching about and their clothes were all torn. And I thought, oh, I am in serious trouble now. This does not look good. And they were just kind of mumbling to themselves. And I thought, oh, I've got to get the, you know, the road went through whatever village this was. And so I had to get on the other side. And I thought, I, I need to be quiet. I need to keep my eyes down, not make eye contact and just kind of shuffle through the crowd here and get to the other side of the road that I could see once some distance. So I did that. But as I started walking and got deeper into the shuffling people or uh, whatever they were, uh, they stopped and they turned toward me. Obviously, I put off a vibe or something. And I thought, oh, dear, this isn't good. And so the, the women, the ones with kind of floppy dresses on backed up and the men formed a circle around. And I knew that was not going to be good. And it wasn't. And they attacked me and they beat me and they kicked me and they did other horrible things to me. And um, I just protected myself as best I could, but I was really outnumbered and overwhelmed and it was awful. And um, they backed up, but not before one of them leaned over in my face with his skin falling off and said that we all have eight and now you have a two. And the bad thing is you can't die. Wow. Again, Barbara, I mean, there's no way to explain how horrible all this was. And, and um, so eventually some demon lady came over and said, you're with us. And then we went on a trek through snow up to here and cold as hell is a real thing. And went to this horrible shack thing where we were told we were, were going to wait for customers. And that was starting to, I was getting tired. By here, I, I thought, I know I can't despair. I can't give up. But I'm getting really tired and I don't, you know, I, I don't know how much longer I can hang on. Take it all. You know, I, there was no place, uh, there was no help coming. And um, uh, we were waiting and it was cold and the other ladies were all just sitting there all dejected. And, and uh, uh, I, I asked that demon lady, I said, you know, I've been here a long time and it seems particularly sad right now. That's our reason. And she says, well, on earth, it's Christmas. That's always the worst day in hell. Oh. So I hear Christmas. I hear earth. <laughs> I hear hell. Mm -hmm. So, and, and again, it just made me mad. Uh-huh. So I just started singing away in a manger. Mm. I thought, well, heck with it. It's Christmas. <laughs> They're probably not going to like it. And that's probably okay with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I started singing and she yelled. She had mingled over with some of the other ladies, giving them fits. And, and uh, she turned around and said, stop that. And, and I just thought, oh, good. I've got her goat. So I kept singing. And another couple of the ladies 
sang along too. And now she's coming at me with her stick because we got to the part where the little Lord and she shrieked and I covered my eyes and I thought, well, I'll end up somewhere else. Uh And I did because when I opened my eyes, it was bright light. Bright light. Oh, wow. Bright light. And I thought, well, now what? But I was like infused with all this love and joy and bliss and all that had happened before me was just completely wiped out. And I, I was like swimming in love is the only thing I can feel every, you know, it was just glorious. That's love. Mm -hmm. And I looked around and there's my friend who had just died the month before I did my, my best friend. And he looked wonderful. He, he had been 53 when he died. Now he looked 35 and, and he, you know, he, last time I saw him, he lost all his hair and he was all modeled with, with leukemia. And now he looked wonderful and he was wearing a sweater I gave him. Wow. And he's looking so happy <laughs> and he's so happy to see me and I'm so happy to see him. And it dawned on me. He doesn't know he's dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said that in my mind and he really started laughing. And I thought, well, wait a minute, if he's dead, then I'm dead and I'm in heaven. And oh, I was so happy. I was so excited. I was so happy. And he was there and I says, well, you know, why are we just standing here? Go show me stuff. Let's go see stuff. And then he just kind of uh, wasn't into that. And I, I thought, what's going on? And I, I looked around and I saw this like an architect's table it was a high table with this huge book on it opened about halfway. And, and, and I looked at that and I thought, wait a minute, he was showing me something in that book. What was it? And I thought, all I remember is I said, Oh no, that's going to be too hard. I want to stay here with you. And he said, now Mary Kay, just what he called me. You've got too much left to do. Wow. I thought, oh my gosh, they're throwing me out. And I said, no, no. I crossed my arms. I remember stamping my foot and I still felt like I had a body. And I said, no. And he just smiled. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was not there anymore. Uh, I did have kind of a, I call it my timeout road uh, that came out. I was so furious. I was hopping mad. And it was like, this beautiful field and I walked down this stream and I got further and further down the stream. I met three different ladies there who gave me things to give to the fellow that I had been dating. And they spoke a language I did not know. And I just said, sure. And all of a sudden it's bright light again. And I, but it hurts. And I see these people standing around and uh, they're my family. Oh. And uh, and I couldn't move. I was having trouble breathing, mm-hmm. and I was very hot. And I thought, "What in the heck? What new fresh hell is this?" You yeah, know? exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they're all, "Yay, mom's back!" And they're, you know, they're they're, you know, and I, you came I was back into just, the room. Yeah, in the, in the ICU, and I still got the you know the thing in my throat, uh-huh. and I've got tubes <laughs> everywhere, and. Because when I, I was always a thin person, I was about 105 when I checked in. Now is 86 pounds. Wow. I had no <laughs> muscle mass, literally skin and bones. That's why I couldn't move. I had no muscle well, yeah. mass left. 
and and they're all excited and they're telling me how they prayed and prayed that I'd be you know saved and come back and I was Barbara was so so good that I could not talk because I would have been quite rude about them bringing me back then I didn't want to be back wow. and, and then to be in this horrible debilitated and on and, and it's ringing in my ears you've got too much left to do and I thought that's another joke you know it's another joke not so, no I was not a happy camper wow so you, you so now you, you came back Thank God you came back. I mean, really. Not really. Not well, really. <laughs> but the family was happy you yeah. did. So said, most, of, most of us were, yeah, yeah. And but yes, so how long back. did it take till you finally got out of the hospital? Well, I was another week in, uh, in the hospital. They had to take the trach out and give me this thing in my throat till I could learn how to talk again. You sound, you can sound like a robot talking, oh, yeah. but at least you could talk. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, I had to wait till that this uh, healed up. Healed that, up. Yeah, that took a long time. Um, well, actually, I just had to start to heal. They had to make sure it wasn't infected because it took another month for it to heal up in the rehabs. But then I had to go to a physical rehab facility for a month and learn how to do everything again. Learn how to eat, crawl, walk, uh, button, everything. I was I had to get all my muscles, well, at least enough muscles back to, to be able to walk. Right then, I was like a rag doll. They had to tie me to a chair because I just flopped over. Um, I still had a lot of x-rays to uh, go through to make sure that it was the, the, the syndrome had cleared itself. And then, uh, of course, my lungs were scarred and a mess. And one of them collapsed while I was still in the rehab. And they had to put a tube in and drain it and uh, awake. They did this when I was awake. Wow. Uh, uh, it, was, it was just not fun, you know, so uh, wow. a whole month there. And then um, I went went home and it took me a good year to get um, get, back. get enough strength and stuff to, to be able to. And then I was haunted. I was haunted by this hell thing. And I thought, oh, darn it. Now I'm going to have to die again and go back to purgatory or hell, whatever it was. And before I can go to heaven again, I was so depressed. Wow. Um, and I didn't know why, but I was, you know, I'd always been a writer. I always had diaries and journals and all that stuff. So I thought, well, maybe if I just start writing this stuff out, mm-hmm. it'll get out of my head and I can get on with my life. So I wrote and wrote and wrote and I'd stick it in a drawer and write some more and write some more. And then it didn't go away. And nobody could tell me what it was. The doctor says it was a drugs. And I says, didn't you tell me I wouldn't be able to remember anything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember. So, and my parents and my family didn't want to hear about it because uh-huh. they didn't want to know, what did you do to go to hell, Kathy? Well, it's like, oh, I was a person. I didn't kill anybody. I don't know. Yeah. So nobody was helpful. It took 10 years. Wow. To finally have these synchronicities started popping up just all of a sudden, just these things. And I, I found myself at an IONS meeting in Seattle. And uh, at first it was like, oh my gosh, look at all these people, all these people died and came back. Yeah. I was fascinated, but then all their stories were angels and happiness and, and butterflies and stuff. And I kept saying, uh, <laughs> anybody else have a bad experience? And they said, well, there's three or four books out there. You know, there's there's Howard Storm and, and Nancy Evans Bush and a couple of them. So I read them. I read them cover to cover. And the only one that really resonated with me on a, on a big level was Nancy Evans Bush. And 
she's a wonderful lady. She's written three books and she's very learned. And, and she saw the Buddha in hell. That's the name of one of her, her, her books. And long short of it, it, it tends to be that, that the brave people are, are the ones that have the bad experiences. They are ones that bring back messages for the rest of us that to share. And, and what I was to bring back was you don't have to go to hell. One goes to hell because they manifested. I manifested my hell. That's why all those scenes were tailored. They were from things that actually happened in my life oh. that I brought to hell and exploded into a big, bigger picture. And um, I really believe my whole life, I was told I was going to go to purgatory after I died. There was just no ifs, ands, or buts. And I believed that. And I lived my life according to that. And so I wasn't disappointed. I got to go to purgatory, which is hell, but you get out. And, um, but I just here to say, no, God is all loving and all forgiving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 85% of the people go straight to heaven. If you're going to hell, it's because you chose it unwittingly. And, and don't do that. So oh, yes, <laughs> don't do it. Skip the trip. Believe me. <laughs> oh, that, that was a tough trip. That's a really. It was a tough trip. Oh, and I just don't recommend it. You, you, you moved through it. You were determined not to stay in those situations. That was, that's why I was the misfit in hell. Yeah. Wow. Because so I you... wouldn't, I wouldn't cave. And that's why I went, I guess. And I believe now that we all plan our lives. So I, I must have volunteered for that trip. And, and now, you know, it's been 22 years. The thing is still as fresh as yesterday uh, in my mind. And I've written a book, which has been helpful. The book is about my whole life. You know, it's not just this horrible, fearful hell thing. Right. And how well, I told you about just who I am, what my beliefs were, what happened, and then what happened afterwards and how I came to all these decisions and, and, um, and the wonders of, of uh, ions and uh, people with near-death experiences and people like you that have these podcasts that, that allow people to come from all walks of life and give positive things for people to... Um, to, to integrate into their lives. I bless you, Barbara, <laughs> for having the guts, you know, to, to actually take time out of your life and, and, uh, and work toward uh, helping people. Yeah, because we, we, you know, we, we need to learn. We need to know more and not be so afraid of things, you know, that, are, you know, that may happen or may not, you know, happen. Um, and someone like you that, have experienced. I mean, I cannot fathom for the how this would like what would be. I cannot. So, um, you know, I mean, I had a near death experience also, uh, but yeah. I went to the light and saw all my my dogs, my relatives, and oh. my grandma. But then my grandma, as I was about to touch her, she threw me back, and I woke up gasping for air, and I oh, knew yeah. I died. You know, but that was a different kind of. You know, I was in. Like you mentioned, the, the beautiful light tunnel and where I felt, oh, a love and I felt calm and I felt peaceful and tranquil. And yeah, I wanted to stay there, too. But, sure. you know, <laughs> he said, oh, no, no, no. You got stuff you got to do and threw me back, you know, out. And um, yeah. <clears throat> this happened. So what do you think you ultimately 
you're supposed to be doing? You know, I know you wrote the book. Yeah, yeah, okay. that took uh, that took twenty years to oh, write the oh, book. Oh, and I only, you know, I only finished it a year and a half ago. But people just kept bugging me about it, and finally, I thought, oh, all right, you know, already. And it it was funny because I thought when I sat down, I was just going to write the hell story. And then the gal that was going to publish this, oh, no, no, you need like, I don't know, 60,000 words. And I had like a thousand. I says, what? I said, that's all I got. She says, no, 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 no. You got to write, go back, go write about what happened. And I just sat there in front of that computer, just almost in tears. And then, you know what? These stories started downloading from my relatives, you know, and it was like, they were saying, well, here, don't forget to talk about grandma and remember the time that such and such. And I was like a stenographer. I'm typing like a fool, man. All this stuff is just coming in and I'm having a ball. And then some of it was so sad that I had to keep a box of Kleenex next to that. Like, oh, grandma, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, it was, it was just uh, such a wonderful experience. Uh -huh. And I kept, you know, I kept writing. I kept counting the words. And oh, my gosh, you got to 20,000. You had to get to 60. Whatever it was, I just kept going, going, going. And then I thought, well, I'll just do finding ions. So I put all that in there. And I still had like 20,000 words to go. So I thought, well, I'll just go from there to now. And what I learned. Another big thing I learned, and, um, you know, even I'm still human, so that there's that 1% of me that's still scared to death I'm going to go back to hell for some reason. No, I don't think and, so. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm human. I still got this little brain and it's in there. So I was talking to God a couple of years ago, and, and I said, you know, I believe all this stuff. <laughs> can you give me some, like, positive things to do every day so I can focus on positive mm -hmm. instead of having this darn thing in the back of my mind and and it took a while but he only gave me two at a time because my memory is terrible but the first one's for kathy just be loving and kind mm. that's all you can do just be loving and kind and then it was merciful and forgiving oh encouraging grateful non-judgmental mm -hmm. and useful mm -hmm. so i every morning i get up i got my little picture of jesus and i say please help me to be <laughs> loving and kind whatever and i've got it on bookmarks that i give to people and and so that's those are the positive things and those are just the things that we were really taught that the, the basic principle i remember being in kindergarten and and then and i was first grade and the nuns said okay the, in our little catechism it says who is god god is love where is God? God is everywhere. Everywhere. You know, what did Jesus say? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. It's it all comes back to every, all the all the teachings just come back to the loving and kind. Yes. And then if you want to add the others to just kind of to remind me on a, a, a you know, non-judgmental is a big one for me. And so, big one <laughs> I for can't help, but I'm just yeah. that way, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> And so I really have to, if I could just every morning, just remind myself now, just watch it. I try and see, I try and be observant rather than judgmental. Mm -hmm. You know, we're human. We, we're never going to make a hundred percent. No. And, and we, you know, yeah, we, God does not judge us in any way. And I truly feel that, you know, we make mistakes. Yeah, yeah we're human. But the thing is to be more mindful, more aware of, of, of what we're saying and how we're feeling. And everybody has their own opinion and we should just respect it. Right, right. I don't know. You, we weren't, you weren't there long enough either. But a lot of people that stay in heaven for quite a while, they get the life review thing. And I always found that fascinating because 
no, okay, so if God's all loving and all forgiving, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> what happens? You know, that, eh, that doesn't seem right, but maybe because I'm human. But I, I love the fact that you get to, you know, with guides and everybody, uh, just look at your whole life. As somebody says, like an IMAX, they got all these pictures, you know, and you get to see every moment of your life and 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 how, how you how you did, you know, and it's not a judgment. It's not no. a karma thing. It's just how you did. And you get to say, mm, yeah, I could have done a little better there, but I, you know, I did well there, but the fun thing or not so fun thing is they flip it around and now you get a life review from other people's perspective. How did they feel interacting with you? When you said something harsh, what was, what was the pain they felt? You get to feel that pain. And it's not a punishment. It's just, it's just an experience. You go to life to, uh, to earth to have experiences. And so it, it's good feedback, you know? Oh, okay. And so that to me is, okay, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I, I want to know how I did. Uh-huh. And uh, that's how we learn. And that's why we're here. Oh, it's so huge. All the things that go on in the afterlife, you know, and with the people that have been the different planets and different galaxies and different dimensions, it's overwhelming. I try not to, to learn too much about it because I you can get a headache thinking about all the stuff that's on the other side. But yeah, life here a lot is of people just that, yeah. so little. Oh, yeah. There's a lot, lot of people now that, are, that do research into this. Oh, yeah. A lot of people are coming forward. And I think more and more people are having them, too. And look at all the COVID stuff. I mean, there's a lot of people who died and, and come back. I'm, I'm really curious. So just a shout out. Anybody out there who's was on a ventilator for a long time and had something really weird happen, you know, look me up. I'll be happy to talk to you about it. And on IONS, I've started a, um, uh, a sharing group. Uh, they meet once a month on the second Thursdays. And uh, it's online. And uh, people who've had distressing near-death experiences or want to know more about it are welcome to join us on IONS uh, for uh, a sharing group. Yeah. Wow, that's all I can say. (laughs) Well, you know, there's a lot left to do, and I I, I just Uh want to get it done so I can go home. (laughs) Yeah, I know. know. Yeah, so, uh, so do you think there's another book, you know, in a different way? Um, yeah, there's something going on. You know, I don't, I don't think this stuff up myself. I just as soon retire, but uh, it's not going to happen. I, I think what's happening for me now, I, I've been reading about, and every time I turn around, I'm looking at something that's called, um, I think it's called deconstruction. Deconstruction wow. for people who have been in religions for all their life or for a long time and are questioning you know, how that, that, that doesn't work anymore, especially if you've been on the other side and you experience God, you know, there's no rules there, you know, that those are man-made rules and they just exclude people and, and God doesn't exclude anybody. No. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of people out there right now taking a second look at religion. I think people, I know the people that are go over the other side, usually come back and say, I must, I go into spirituality now. I'm a more spiritual person. I'm not really a religious person. So I think something's going on with that. I'm paying attention to that. Yeah, I think I, you know, I know I've been uh, killed in other lives as a healer. So Mm. this lifetime, I finally was brave enough to to come out and say this. Yeah. 
um, well, it took me quite many years until I was in my 40s to say, hello, you know, we don't want this as corporate anymore. But yeah, um, and but I, I've come back, even though, you know, we're, we're Jewish, and my son actually converted um, uh, uh, to a Catholic. Um, oh. But, um, and, you know, it's his choice. I love him and sure. fine. And my daughter, you know, knows no religion. She's very spiritual. And my husband and I are very spiritual. And I, I see yeah. things a lot differently, uh, yeah. I guess, than a lot of other people. But again, I don't judge, you know, if this is what you feel is right for you, then go for it. I'm happy for you because then maybe you need to find God in a, in a different, you know, way you know, yeah. religion. And because God, as you said, is loving and kind and wants just the best for us. And there's no judging, you know, and um, I know for myself, you know, every day when I wake up, I always say, thank you, God, that, you know, for this new day. And, you know, thank you for everything, no matter what may be coming or just to be grateful, grateful and appreciate everything that we do have, because we always have everything that we need. I feel not necessarily what we want. So, um, you know, and, and with you, this has been some journey. I mean, oh, it's like, so now where, do, do you, do you coach people or like, what, what are you doing now? Uh, I'm spending a lot of times on podcasts. I think okay. yours is my 55th in a year oh. and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, just, that, that promotes the book, you know, so I, I've been on them all over the world, Australia, Africa, Virgin Islands, England, you know, and, and it gets the message out. It's, it's not, you know, it's, you don't write a book to make money. If you do, you're going to be sorely disappointed, but it's, it's a way to touch people and um, get the message out. So I, I spend, I don't know, four or five hours a day on the computer doing stuff for podcasts and and uh, the book, and and that's just my my job, my yes. job now, and I love it. And love you love job. it exactly. <laughs> yeah, just like I, I love doing job. this, the podcast. Yeah. You know, I I've been wanting to do this for so many years, and then uh -huh. you know, um, th this is a new one, and yeah, uh, this just started in August. And yeah, good for um, you. And I yeah. do it every, every week. There's a, there's a new one, and uh, upstairs they've been like you know come on come on let's do it <laughs> it's not about me it's about me getting people like you right. and having yeah. people listen and understand so you know yeah. oh, where can my listeners find you <laughs> and, and your uh, well the book's for sale and it's it's uh mk mcdaniel mcdaniel and it's uh, on amazon and it's misfit in hell which wish i was to heaven expat an expat, somebody that works in another country and then goes home when they're finished. And that's what we all are. We start in heaven, do our work here and go home. And uh, so that's, and then, and the website is the same thing with a www and then misfit and hell to have an expat.com. Uh, you can find me on the IONS uh, website when you look under uh, sharing groups uh, and, you know, and then I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Oh, Wow, Kathy, I cannot thank you for this interview. <laughs> this well, is an eye opener for me. I mean, I, I <laughs> honestly, I didn't think we would even go in that direction. So, um, whew, wow. Yeah.
It's fun. Thank you, thank you for having me. See, we're, we're both doing what we're supposed to be doing. I know. Uh, and it feels good when that happens, huh? Yes, it does. It feels extremely good. And there's no anything attached to it. Just the fact that we need to have people listen because and let them know that they're not alone. Right, right. And they so don't have cool. to go to hell. Oh, <laughs> man, that's a biggie. Please, I don't want to go there. <laughs> no, you don't have to. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> okay, thank you. You know, okay. and, uh, thank you for listening today. And I cannot, I mean, a, a, a huge thank you to Kathy. And, you know, <laughs> thank you. Buy her book, visit her on her website. And, you know, I hope that you heard what you needed to hear today. So please visit me at uh, motivateyourlife.net and subscribe to this YouTube channel, The Spiritual Warrior Coach, because, boy, I've had incredible guests just like Kathy. And you, it's we need to learn. And that's what this is all about. So, you know. And for those of you who may be interested in learning energy healing, check out my book on Amazon, Gentle Energy Touch, The Beginner's Guide to Hands-On Healing. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Kathy, for being here. And have a beautiful week filled with love and with light. Love, Barbara.